0: Super glad that you're here. Yeah, woo, woo. Got some energy in the room. Um, some announcements that I have for you. Uh, we have been announcing every week that we have soccer club coming up in August. And as the world is opening up, it is looking like we are really going to do this, you guys. Yeah. Um, we so far have 115 kids, RSVP'd. That's probably a record for how early on it is in the year. Um, Seven of those RSVPs are Brookview families, just to kind of give you an idea. I know you're laughing out loud. Um, super cool. We're kind of getting on that registration form, how did you hear about club? And for so many people, either they came in the past, or they were invited by someone who did. So um, that is just really cool, the way that you have poured yourself out on behalf of people, and um, it's really cool. So. Uh, August 2nd through the 6th. If you want to take the week off of work, we can always use more help. Haley, I got your voice message. I'm just going to respond to people. Bob, I know about you. No, just kidding. Looking forward to seeing you, Em. Um, (laughs) But what are you doing, Shane and Sarah? I'm kidding. Totally (laughs) kidding. They're like, they're pharmacy techs, you guys. They're pharmacists. You're not going to be coming to soccer club. But I mean, we might need medicine afterwards. So you just let us know. Okay, okay, awkward. They love, like, people. Brooklyn is sitting there going, Mom. <laughs> Stop, I should lean into that, lean into that voice. Um, Okay, moving right along, you can sign up for Soccer Club for your kids, for your neighbors, whoever you'd like to at brookviewchurch.com forward slash soccer, and if you're interested in helping out, you would fill out your online communication card, and I'll kind of talk about that in just a minute. The next thing, oh boy, there's a lot of Happy Father's Day messages going on my non-do-not-disturbed phone. Come back to me, announcements. Where are you? I mean, you guys always have really good ideas. (laughs) Really good ideas. Okay, but let me tell you about Ignite. Uh, very excited for Ignite. We call that Brickview's family meeting, and we have not been together for Ignite to talk about kind of the inside of what's going on at church, to be inspired, to hear the stories of what God has been up to, to pray and dream about what is to come, and to really kind of surrender ourselves to God and ask Him to guide us and to lead us. And so we would love for you to come to that. And we're going to do it in epic party style. We're going to have dinner from five to six o'clock in the parking lot then we'll move in here for the meeting um, from six to eight and then after that we will go outside and we have um, fires and we will have fire pits and marshmallow roasting and jason and i tested out the fire pits and We didn't do a great job, but we're going to do a better job. I mean, this flame was like this high in this tiny little burn barrel. We had Brooklyn bring a friend over, and we were like, oh, this seems a little sketchy. They were like wood pellets, and they burned really hot, so we had like red flash-burned faces. So what I'll say about that is if you're bringing children with you, we love your children, but keep track of them. Don't you, okay, yeah, move on. Move on, Jen, don't say everything that you're thinking. Then we're gonna follow that epic night up if the bonfires have gone really well. And we're gonna have a worship night on July 3rd. This is in lieu of our Sunday morning service on July 4th. We know that many of you travel out of town, you have barbecues that are just kind of your yearly tradition. So we're gonna gather together on Saturday evening and have worship for an hour. That is kid-friendly. We want your families to come. Um, it will be all music and a little bit of prayer, but very much a space where kids can, can enjoy um, worshiping with you. And then we'll head out to the parking lot, and whoever wants to stay, whoever dares to roast marshmallows and have s'mores with us will be excited to have you afterwards. Um, I did mention the online communication card, and we love it when you fill that out. It is your way of corresponding with us. And so if you're marking boxes like I can help with soccer club, we will get back to you throughout the week. And so you do that by going to brickviewchurch.com forward slash contact, and that'll be right there when you get there. Um, Happy Father's Day, guys. Yeah. And as is our tradition at Brickview, we celebrate all men and just the gift that you give to our world. Um, I have my own dad here today. How cool is that, you guys? Yeah. Raise your hand, Mr. York. So if you want to visit with him afterwards and tell him how awesome his daughter is, um, you are more than welcome to do that. Now you all know who he is. Um, but as a gift to you and any little boys that are next door, um, we have a candy bar. You can choose. Are you a big hunk or are you a Mr. Good bar? And it says a lot about you, and we do want to know. And then also a bottle of root beer that is plenty warm. So you might not want to open that until later. That'll be like your toast at the end of the day. Um, but happy Father's Day to you. i so grateful, so thankful for the men that we have in this church community and the way that you invest yourself in our, um, in our family here. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, thanks for who you are. Thank you for the way that you are uh, the picture of the perfect father. And as Jason comes this morning to talk a little bit about who you are, um, God, I pray that we would meet you in it, that you would meet with us. Um, Wash over this place. Guide and direct. It's in your name I pray. Amen.
1: Have you ever had a situation where life is really not what you want? But it doesn't seem like it's going to change. Like maybe the doctors have given you a prognosis. And of course, you you pray for a miracle. You pray and pray for a miracle. But your body is is not supposed to get better. Or maybe your, your marriage feels stuck and you've been working at it for years and you've been asking God to do something but it's it's just still not what you want it to be and the truth is while you ask God for healing and and intervention it just doesn't seem to be changing or maybe you had high hopes for your career or something else you had a you had a dream of some other kind but things just have not gone the way that you hoped at all and though you have prayed and prayed there is no sense things will get better. Is this like a super inspiring way to start a message? You guys all fired up right now. You just feel encouraged. It's kind of heavy, and um, and so I just want to say, like, if you're visiting with us, and there are actually several of you visiting with us today, I just want you to know. Normally, I'm hilarious, <laughs> so today's weird, um, but today I I, I want to get real um, because this is real life. Stuff happens. Like, you want something to get better, and it gets worse. You, you, ask, you ask God to make it better, and it gets worse. This is real life. This happens every day. And this happens, you guys, to good people. People who love God, and people who serve Him, and people who honor Him well. And yet, life comes with disappointment. It, it, pain and disappointment aren't, like, reserved for the bad people. You know, and they're not reserved for people that, that lack faith. Because, oh man, like, serious bouts of disappointment actually test our faith, right? So when you inevitably encounter some kind of overwhelming disappointment, when something in your life is really not what you want, and you, may, and you fear that it may only get worse, how do you handle disappointment well? Like, as followers of Jesus, how do we walk through disappointment? Is there a way to anchor our spirit to our Father in Heaven? Is there a way to continue, just continue to live with peace and hope? Um, last week, we started this series that's going to take us all the way through the summer, and we're calling it The Way of Jesus. And we're looking at His teachings, but also at His example. And today, we are going to look at a very, very famous moment. It's Jesus, the night before His death, begging God in prayer. And I find this to be one of the most emotional and honest scenes of Jesus's life at least you know that's recorded for us in the scriptures it's interesting what isn't recorded in the scriptures because like by the time Jesus is an adult his father Joseph is gone he's not in the picture he he had died And, and we're not told about that event when you think about it like what was that like I mean, how did, how did Mary walk through the loss of her husband? And how did Jesus' mother's grief affect him? Because in another scene, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, and Lazarus' sister met Jesus on the road as he was riding into town, Jesus looked at her, and he saw all of her pain and all of her grief. And how did Jesus respond? Anybody? He wept. I mean, he just wept. And, and the idea of that is not like he got misty-eyed. The, the, the picture there is that he broke down sobbing, which is really weird when you think about it because Jesus came into town to raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, it's just moments away, but Lazarus's sister doesn't know, doesn't know that. Like her brother died, that's all that she knew, and she was so overwhelmed with grief and filled with compassion, Jesus just met her in that moment and wept with her. So, so what in the world was it like for him when Joseph died? I mean, how many times do you think Jesus wept with his mother, with Mary? Now, we don't know. We're not told. And so my point is, Jesus had a, a lot of hard stuff. But the scene that we are about to look at is Jesus being pushed to his emotional limits and beyond them. It is, it is raw. It's real. And you guys, I feel like we have so much to learn from it. And so I'm going to read this passage in its entirety, and then we'll walk through it point by point. But what I want you to do is try to feel the weight of this scene. And as I read it, think about this. What does Jesus show us here about how to handle disappointment? Okay, here we go. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that'd be James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Sometimes life goes a direction you really, really don't want. You want a way out, but there just isn't a way out. So, how do you handle it when life is not going the way that you want? Like, if, you're, if your strategy to make your inner world okay is to somehow make your outer world okay. That, that strategy is doomed to fail. Like it's only a, a matter of when, not if. To be human is to face loss and pain and disappointment. And Jesus was not shy in telling us to expect it. You guys, we, we follow a rabbi whose life ended not in glory, but in shame. Whose life ended on the cross and if we lose sight of that reality we can end up with this skewed view of life that just not, just does not set us up well for the inevitable pain of the human condition. So I guess my question for us this morning is not only how do we deal with disappointment but how do we deal with like emotional pain in general? Man, this is heavy you guys I okay it's Let's just work through that text one more time, thought by thought. Okay, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, Gethsemane, what what is that? Gethsemane was a garden, or maybe in our language, like in our culture, what we're used to, we we would call it a park. But it's in an olive orchard just outside of Jerusalem, and the word Gethsemane literally means olive press. So it's named after the tool by which an olive is crushed to release its oil, which is a fitting word picture and location for Jesus in this moment. He's coming to Gethsemane in more ways than one because the cross itself will serve as the olive press where he is crushed, where his healing oil will then be released for us all. And like Jesus, we all come to these Gethsemane moments of life. It's a place where we are overwhelmed by sorrow or fear or disappointment, which is why having his friends nearby was so important. He says to his friends, sit here. Like, sit here while I just go right over there and pray. And he's like, guys, I'm, I'm struggling, and I need you right here with me now. So, okay, verse 37, Matthew 26, verse 37, says, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, like, get your mind around the depth of the emotion of this. We just kind of read over it. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And what happens is, in this moment, all of his emotions bubble to the surface. And he says, okay, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And, 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 and like, if you see what he's saying here, you guys, it's, it's pretty incredible. Jesus is essentially saying, let me just sort of paraphrase. He's saying, I don't have enough space to contain this much pain. He's saying, this, this is too much for me, and I can't contain it all. I can't hold it. I am overwhelmed. Which is why he says to his friends, I need you to be here. I need you to be with me in this. Now please notice, Jesus is saying to his closest friends, I need you to help me shoulder this emotional load because I am overwhelmed. That's not how a lot of us view Jesus. Like it flies in the face of something that in Christian culture and in just the world in general, we hear all the time. It it is amazing how often I will hear well-meaning people say, I heard a couple of people say it this week, in fact. They will say, well, you know, the Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle. Really? Really? I've studied the Bible a lot. I've read it, and it turns out, you guys, get this: the Bible does not say that. It doesn't say that. Now, there is a, a place. Now, like nowhere does it say that. There, the only thing that is like even remotely close to that is in the book of First Corinthians, and it's it's in the context of facing temptation. And okay, and, so, and I'll read it. For, I'll read it for you, word for word. Here's what Paul says. Paul says. Uh, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Okay, So when you are tempted, if you look to God, he will show you a way out. But this is in no way saying that in your life, you will never face anything that is beyond what you can bear. What Jesus is saying to his friends here, guys, he's saying, I don't have enough emotional space to contain this much pain. This is too much for me. I can't contain it all. I can't hold it, and I'm overwhelmed. And so John and James and Peter, I need you guys. I need you to be here and be with me in this. I need you to help me shoulder this. Now, what does this say for our own human need for community in pain? Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And, and notice the agony and desperation here. Like the, the metaphor of, of cup here was a, a like a first century idiom, sort of a first century way of saying you know, your allotment of pain and suffering in life. Like, in our our culture, we might say, okay, this is just the hand you've been dealt. Or maybe, like, this is the burden that you bear. Jesus is referring to the cross, which is now not days, but hours away. If there's any other way, God, than this arrest and sham trial and shame and torture and blood and death and darkness at multiple levels, if there is any other way, God, but whatever you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. And of course, sometimes we can't rely on even our closest friends because they don't understand or they have their own thing that they're dealing with. And they don't mean to let us down. It It just happens. Jesus pleads with them. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he fixes his gaze once again on his father. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And notice, he's starting to shift here a tiny bit. It's the same basic prayer, but there's more openness now to whatever God has for him. Verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Okay, Here comes my cup to drink. And we know the story. You, you guys, there is so much that we can learn from Jesus here. Because the truth is, we all experience Gethsemane moments. We all face times when it's, it's, there's a cup that is ours to drink. Now, before we, okay, before we dive in and, and analyze Jesus' response in this moment, which we're going to do in a minute because I think it's amazing, um, there are at least four other responses to this same cup that are worth pausing to consider. Okay, other people that are facing the same thing kind of by proxy through Jesus. And the first is the response of Peter. If you keep reading the story, when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? I heard fights. What else did I hear? Yeah, he goes all Braveheart, right? And he pulls out his sword, and he just starts swinging... And and he fights and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, right? And Jesus says, "Ah, oh, for Pete's sake." Oh. Wow. And then and then and then and then he goes over and he heals the guy's ear. Do you guys know that that's where that comes from? Totally, it totally is. Okay, so so what is Peter's reaction to the cup? Well, Peter is, is literally trying to fight it off. Like, he's railing against the cup. He's railing against the circumstances of life that he now finds himself in, and he is trying to bend reality to his will. But if, if this is our primary response to pain and suffering, to just fight tooth and nail, to deny reality, or just to assault it with brute force of will, or to pull out our sword and fight back we will inevitably bend not reality, but our own heart. And we will close it off from God and from others. And often, we end up, what we end up bending is other people. We end up wounding the people around us. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay, I'm all for changing the things that we can. Right? If there's something bad in your life and you can get out of it or you can fix it, by all means do it. I'm not telling you by any means to just roll over and play dead. The problem is that we encounter things all the time that actually can't be fixed. And, and so somehow we have to find a way to go on about the business of living. We have to grieve it. We have to forgive it. We have to release it and go on living. But if we just rage against it forever, it creates more and more Not only often for us, but also for those that are around us. So Peter just goes berserk and tries to recapture control of the situation, and Jesus says, "Slow down, cowboy." Okay. Another response is that we see here is the way of Judas. Okay, who when facing the cup, just turns away from following Jesus. He just walks away. He looks for life and hope from another source. He looks for salvation elsewhere. Okay, not from Messiah Jesus anymore, but from Rome or from the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He wants his own cup to be free of pain and suffering. And when Jesus does not deliver what he thought Jesus was going to deliver, he just walks away. And Jesus warned that this would happen in his parable of the four soils. He warned that the, 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 of the response of some said, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The way of Judas is to just stop following Jesus when he doesn't deliver the life that you want. To just go your own way, to look for another Messiah, to try to find another source of salvation, to find another pathway to the life that you crave. Another response or way is the way of Thomas. Um, Earlier in the story, and this is probably not as familiar to many, Earlier in the story, when, when Jesus says he's going to Judea to die, he's like, he keeps telling the disciples over and over again, hey, guys, I'm going to die. And they're like, yeah, whatever. You're going to be king, and we're all going to rule with you. It's going to be awesome. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to die. And they're like, no. And they, they've just got this massive denial going on. Okay, So finally, Jesus gets real serious. He's like, no, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And they're all just like, well, they have no category. For, they don't know, even know what to do with that. Thomas, though, Thomas is like, okay. And Thomas has this awesome deadpan response. He just says to the other guys, he's like, well, he's like, let us go to Jerusalem that we may die with him. (laughs) Thomas is kind of like, I love Thomas because Thomas reminds me of me a lot. He's just kind of like the stoic in the group. And if you know his story, he's, he's a skeptic to the very end, right? In the very end, Jesus has been resurrected, and people have seen and their stories, and people are going nuts, and, and, and he's just like, yeah, I don't care that you've all seen him alive. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and feet for myself, I will never believe that he is back from the dead. I mean, Thomas is, from beginning to end, the stoic of the group, which in reality, to some degree, he may well have been, or at least been influenced by that. Because as a philosophy, Stoicism in that time frame was at the height of its popularity. I mean, as many of you know, it developed in ancient Greece, and it was kind of like the original secularism. Uh, The Stoics, as I understand them, basically said, hey, listen, we don't know if the gods are real or not, but either way, they don't seem to be all that involved in everyday life. So let's just get on with the business of living. And the Stoic approach is basically, here's what it is. Just lower your expectations. Expect things to go badly. Which, I, can I just say, is not a terrible idea. Um, because, like, it, it, okay, I'm just here to pump you up. Uh, in order to believe, if for you, in order to believe God is good, if you, in order to believe that you need nothing bad to happen, I just, again, I want to pump you up. Your faith is going to get rocked. It's coming. Like, if if your joy level is based on things going well all the time, then your joy is going to be extinguished. It's coming. And so, in a sense, you know, stoicism is not all bad. Like, some psychologists have found a formula for happiness. I think this is simple and Maybe a little overly simple, but it's pretty, pretty awesome. They say, okay, here's, here's what it is. Happiness equals reality minus expectations. So if you have no expectations, here's the beauty, you'll never be disappointed, <laughs> right? If you live all the time with inflated expectations, then a, a letdowns just keep coming and coming at you. So in a way, your joy is connected to managing your expectations. But Stoicism was developed in a worldview where there's no resurrection. It was developed in a hopeless world. There's no life after death. There's no ultimate meaning or purpose for life. It's just you trying to make the best of things. It's best practices, as best as you can discern them, to live well until you die. And so while Stoicism is not completely wrong... It is very incomplete. It's missing something that really, really matters because we live in a world where Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit has actually dragged the future into the present. It has opened up a portal to the kingdom of God in the here and now. And so every day brings opportunity for miracles to surprise and delight us. We live in a world, you guys, that is now charged with With wonder, we live in a God-saturated world that is filled with his goodness. And so, Stoicism is missing the key ingredient of hope. And if you shut that part of you off, that that hopeful part, and you just decide to lower your expectations, you will let a crucial component of your soul die. So, there's the way of Thomas, okay? And then finally, last one, there's the way of the twelve which is just kind of this, the like most straight down the middle. It's, this is the most popular. This is at least uh, This is my personal favorite, at least before I met Jen and she was a part of my life. They just sleep. <laughs> you guys, when I was in college, I was a napper. I'm not a napper anymore. Thank you, babe, for making me more efficient in my life. <laughs> Accountability. It's a good, good thing. But for many of us, sleep. This is, like, this is like our MO when things get sad or when things get hard. We just sleep. Now, for some, it's literally just like sleeping all the time. For others, we, we numb our pain by, by escaping. We just dive headfirst into our cultural narcotic of choice, be that work or eating out all the time or busyness or travel or sexuality or Netflix or scrolling Instagram, right? But instead of facing the pain, we find a way to sleep through it. We find a way to escape. And yet none of these four responses are the way of Jesus. He doesn't fight against the cup like Peter. He doesn't decide to give up and go his own way like Judas. He doesn't go the way of stoicism like Thomas. And he doesn't choose sleep or escape or distraction. What does Jesus do? He goes to his father again and again and again in prayer and and i think that his prayer really when we think about it we've read this so many times it's familiar but it is it's different than what we would expect it to be like it's it's raw and it's honest and it's emotional and there are three very simple things that we see in jesus's prayer and the first is jesus gives god his feelings and we read, we read that line, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. No, notice with Jesus, there's no filter here. He's just raw and uncut. There's no editing happening. He tells it like it is. And the truth is, this is the beginning of authentic prayer. For whatever reason, many of us tend to hold back with God. We edit. We try to clean it up and make it sweet and nice and spiritual sounding. We just hold back all the stuff that we're actually feeling. Like, have you, you ever read the Psalms? You ever, like, the, it, It's a book of prayers or a book of worship songs from guys like David. You guys, the Psalms are filled with terrible ideas and bad <laughs> theology. Like, if you read the book of Psalms and you're like, I need a word today. And, you know, it's just like, God, torture my enemies. You know, it's just like, <laughs> It's got all this bad, like, but the point of Psalms is it's honesty, right? It's not perfect ideas. I mean, the Psalms can be shocking. They're filled with all this raw emotion. It's unedited, unpolished, just real feelings from real people. It's men actually saying, God, make my enemies suffer and crush their children. The stuff that makes us go like, whoa, what? That's in the Bible? But but they are raw human feelings that are in the moment. This is people sharing how they actually feel. And being human means that we have good feelings and we have ugly feelings. We have stuff like revenge and hate and anger with enemies. Sometimes we feel like God has abandoned us. Like he's let us down. And we're confused and we're angry with him and we feel betrayed. Those, you guys, those feelings are Real. And, and they're there whether we're honest about them or not. So pretending that they don't exist, all that that does is create distance from God. God wants us to come to him with the real stuff. Prayer, Guys, prayer is not a place to be good. Prayer is a place to be honest. And in Gethsemane, Jesus gives God his feelings. And the cool thing about my prayer and your prayer when we pray is that Jesus gets it. Like he had all the same kinds of feelings that you've felt. He knows. He's been angry. He's been scared. He's been hurt. He's been abandoned. He's been mistreated. He's been confused. He's been cold and hot and tired, and he can can relate to all of it. As the author of Hebrews wrote, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus gives God his feelings. And then second, Jesus gives God his desires. You think about his words in this prayer. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. That's my desire. Let that sink in. Jesus is asking the Father not to go to the cross. Like, this is the climactic moment of his vocation, and he's now saying, Dad, I just don't think I have it in me. I, want it, I, I, I don't want to do it. There has got to be another way. And in doing so, he's teaching us, by his example, to bring all of our desires, not just the good ones. Like similar to our feelings, we all have this mixed bag of desires, a lot of which we're, we're embarrassed by or scared of. And so again, when it comes to God and conversations with God, we try to edit it all out. And what happens is our relationship with God begins to feel pretty disconnected. Now it's true that sometimes we really don't know what we want. Right? It's hard to bring our desires when we don't know what we want. I mean, I can identify with David's prayer where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, because sometimes I don't, I don't know my own heart. I mean, it, it, desire is complex. It's confusing. It's, it's contradictory at times. But Jesus gives God all his desires, good and bad. There's no filter. You guys, this could, for some of you, this could revolutionize the way that you pray. I mean, what, like, what if we just took the filter off and got honest. So Jesus gives God his feelings. He gives God his desires. And then finally, and this is huge, Jesus gives God his trust. That iconic line. Not as I will, but as you will. If it's not possible for this cup to pass from me, then okay, your will be done. And we see that Jesus had competing desires like we all do. He desired not to suffer. He really desired not to suffer, to not go through all that he knew was coming. But his even deeper desire was for his Father's will to be done, to live in his Father's presence and for his pleasure. Now, here's my guess. My guess is that if you have the Spirit of God in you, you wrestle with a very similar tension all the time right? You, you want certain things in your life, like you really want them, but at the same time, you want God's will done and you want to be close to him. You want these things, but you want God's will done. You want these things, but you want to be close to God. And in spite of the things that you really do want, you also desire God. So it's just like, God, I, I want to live in your presence and, and I want to live for your pleasure, I may not want this thing that's happening or, or is about to happen, but I, I want your will to be done. I want to be close to you, and I want my life to make as much difference in this world as possible. So I trust that the more I go where you lead, the more you will do something really good in and through my life. Jesus was able to yield to God's loving purposes for his life. Now Jesus, I will say, Okay, here's a yeah, but. Jesus did have a substantial advantage over us. Probably many. Here's the one I'm thinking of. The significance of his life and his call to the cross, the significance of what God was calling him to was not a mystery to him. He knew exactly what God was accomplishing through it. We often have, I mean, I don't know about you, I often have no idea what God is up to. But Jesus did. He knew what God was up to. His impending death had great significance and he knew it. And yet he couldn't help but ask, Father, can't there be another way? Apparently not. So he gave God his trust. And this is really an amazing template of prayer in a season of desperation. And I think we could simply call it like the Gethsemane prayer. We give God our feelings our desires, and our trust. Now, I came across this concept related to Jesus' time in the garden, like just recently. But looking back over my own walk with God in these past few years, I have been, in a sense, praying this template of prayer a lot. Um, Many of you know that our family walked through our own Gethsemane, and many of you don't know this. Um, But our son, Cameron, is going to turn 21 in August. And he is, you guys, he is an amazing person and doing really cool things with his life. But when, like, we went on a roller coaster ride that began when he was about 13. Right around his 13th birthday, Cam got a, a serious injury, head injury, playing football. And over the next few years, strange things started happening things that were like way out of character for him. And we were at a loss. And as time went on, things just escalated and escalated and got worse. And there was a ton of instability in him and depression and just strange decisions that were being made. And eventually, there were multiple suicide attempts. And we tried, you guys, we tried every kind of hospital and treatment And medication but nothing worked it just got worse and worse and worse and the hospitals wouldn't keep him indefinitely they would eventually always release him but he was not safe and we knew okay we just knew that he likely would not live much longer we were doing all that we could do but it wasn't enough things were only spiraling and, and, I've, and I've shared this before. I've talked about this is a big deal in my life. I've talked about this before. But there were nights in the midst of all that that I would, I would wake up and I would think, oh, God, none of this is real. That was a dream. Like, this is, this is not really happening. And then I would get awake enough to realize, oh, no, this is exactly what's happening. And it would just be like, oh, God. And you guys, in the middle of of all of that, we had to somehow live. We had to find a way to keep this church, you know, keep leading this church and keep serving you guys. And that season lasted for a couple of years. I mean, it it was my Gethsemane. God, please take this cup from me. Right? God, please take this cup from me. And so I can relate to Jesus' words because I felt them many times. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And I will, I will tell you something, those, those nights, those Gethsemane nights, those moments when it looked so hopeless, the only thing that ultimately enabled me and enabled Jen to carry on, the only thing was prayer. And I remember again and again and again, lying in bed in the middle of the night, just giving God my feelings. God, this is how I feel. And giving God my desires. God, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do. And then peace came as I gave God my trust. And there was this sense of, I don't, I, God, I don't know how any of this is going to turn out. There's no reason to believe it's going to go how I want But God, I know that you're good. I know that you love me. I know that you love Cam. I know you love our family. And I know you are up to things that I can't see right now. So God, take this. I give you this. And I trust that you're up to something. You guys, that's the only way that Jen and I got through that. It's the only way. And if, if you know the story of Cam, you know that eventually we, we gave up on hospitals, and we gave up on therapists, and medications, and, and all of that stuff, treatment centers. I mean, as a, as a kid, Cam had gone to Haiti with us to do missions work, and served alongside Jen and I multiple times, and he had always loved it. He'd always thrived, and he came alive there. And he was so good with the people, the Haitian people, especially the kids, and so Jen just had this incredible idea. She ran it by me, and then she ran it by Cam. She's like, Cam, what, what if you just moved to Haiti and tried something totally different? Right? What if, what if you just moved in with Pastor Joshua and his family that we, we've been working with for these years and just, in a sense, started over? What, what if we left all these hospitals and doctors and therapists and medications behind and just tried something totally different? And Cam was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's try that. I mean, what's to lose? And you guys, the kid has been living in Haiti now for two years. And and he's only come home one time. Okay, so it's been really hard in many ways for him and for us. But he's slaying it down there. He's teaching English, like right, high-level English uh, to people that want to translate for, like, doctors and missionaries and stuff like that, and he's, he's leading Bible studies with Haitians, and they're just, like, flocking to—it's it's nuts. He's growing in his walk with Jesus. He's not on any meds. He's not seeing any doctors. He has friends. He has community, and he has deep meaning in his life. It's been hard, but my goodness, what a difference. So a few months ago, just to keep you updated, a few months ago, he moved out of Pastor Joshua's house. He made friends with a guy who who runs a school, who kind of pioneered a school for English translators, and Cam is one of the main teachers at the school. Now, they started started like 15 months ago, and Cam just barely knew the guy at the time, and he started with like six or eight students or something like that. They now have over 80 students coming to this thing. It's a full-blown, full-fledged business, that is amazing. And so the guy that owns and runs it is a young dude in his mid-20s who recently got married and he invited Cam to live in an apartment with he and his wife. And Cam did that. So they have lots of mutual friends that come over and, and Cam is, is learning to cook uh, and manage a budget and he's working and serving and he has community it's kind of the sort of thing that you sort of want for your 20-year-old. I mean, he turns 21 in August, and he wants to come home. So he, was, he said, he's like, no, Dad, I, I need to come home for my 21st birthday. He's like, Dad, I just want to come home to go out with you and have a beer. <laughs> Legally. <laughs> and you guys, I, I can't wait for that. I mean, really. So... Um, on this Father's Day, half a world apart, I'm going to tune you guys out for a second. I just want to say, Cam, I'm so happy that you watch my sermons. And uh, if you're watching right now, which I bet you are, I just want to say, I'm so proud of you. And I also want to say, <clears throat> I, know, I know we talk every week on the phone. It's not the same. And I'm excited for you to come home. And I also want to say, I know that this has been harder than I can possibly imagine. And man, I'm proud of you. Okay. Things have taken a dramatic turn with Cam, right? Happy ending so far. But can we get real again? Many things don't work out this way. We had people that would come along, well-meaning Christians that would come along. I think they were trying to encourage us in the middle of all this, and they're like, you know he's going to be fine, right? I'm like, no, I don't know he's going to be fine, and neither do you. Shut your pie hole. It's not helpful. That's not real. Many things don't work out this way. It doesn't get better. Things don't change. And so what then? Well, Jesus gave God his feelings, his desires, and his trust. And then you go, okay, well, how'd that work out? Well, he was crucified. I mean, like, okay. Like, did it, did it work out for Jesus to give God his trust? I mean, he was executed in the worst possible way. He had all the physical pain. He, had, he, had, uh, he, was, he was alone in it. He was executed with the shame of a criminal. His, his friends didn't understand what was going on, and so they all fled. He was alone. And Jesus himself cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because what is so important for us to see is that that was not the end of the story. Yes, Jesus died, but that wasn't the end because God was up to something. Last week, I read the words of Paul from Philippians chapter 2, and I just want to read them one more time this morning, but I want to read these ones from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message. And in this, Paul encourages us to trust God, to humble ourselves and serve others. And listen to Paul's description of how the rest of the story turns out for Jesus. He writes, Philippians 2, starting with verse 5, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came... He set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, and here's where the story turns, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth and those long ago dead and buried will bow in worship before Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Amen? Amen. We're not an amening church, but that deserves an amen. <laughs> How did trusting God work out for Jesus? Well, I'd say it worked out pretty well in the end. He's going to be worshipped by everything in, in all of the universe that's ever existed ever. That's pretty good. Because even death is not the end. And Jesus would teach this idea to his disciples again and again and again. He wanted them and us to, to, to see what is so hard for us to see. Jesus could see beyond the here and now. Even death doesn't have the last word. This is our ultimate hope. And this is a really, really, really big deal. Several years ago, our church prayed like crazy for a guy named Chris Perry. A guy in his early 30s had cancer. And we prayed and prayed and prayed, God, take this cup. But Chris died. And he left behind a wife and two beautiful little girls. It was a Gethsemane time for many of us. And Chris died. The thing is God is not finished with the story though. It's not finished with the story for with Chris or for those Chris left behind. I mean Jesus would teach again and again in all kinds of different ways. You guys, I'm telling you, God is up to something more beautiful than you can possibly imagine. And the reality is, however your story ends, whether it ends with applause Or execution as it did for Jesus. God is waiting there. God is waiting for you there. In your Gethsemane. Like below the surface. And either way, the invitation for you and for me is to meet with God in our own Gethsemane when we encounter it. In our own olive press. In the things that we want out of but there's no way to get out of. He's waiting for you and me to just give him our feelings and our desires and above all, our trust. Because he's more than just a good rabbi who has like a helpful template for how to navigate emotional pain. He's the one who went to Gethsemane of his own free will for you and me. And Jesus was killed. Yes, like he was executed by the state, but he chose it. I mean, you think about this scene. He could have got up in this story and said, okay, this is too much. And he could have walked right out of Gethsemane. He could have walked right back home to Nazareth and probably been just fine. Most likely, he would have lived a long life and had a very nice career as a rabbi. Instead, he chose to give his life, to take our pain and our suffering on his shoulders, to draw our sin to a focal point in his body, to drink the cup that should have been ours. Because that's what love is. Sacrificing on behalf of those you love and not walking away. Jesus is love. And because of that, he is more than worthy of our trust. Father in heaven, I I thank you for just the realness of this story. I thank you that that it's in the Gospels, that it's in many Gospels, not just one. And God, I just thank you for the rawness of it and the realness of it. And I thank you that you're not offended by our real feelings and our real desires. That what you desire most is to simply walk intimately with us. And oftentimes we feel like we've got to just get it all cleaned up and we've got to get it all fixed so that we can come to you in prayer, not realizing that it's in the brokenness of of authentic prayer that often you do some of your best healing. And so God, I pray that um, for any of us, that are kind of in a Gethsemane Gethsemane season right now in life. God, I pray that you would meet us. I pray that you would meet us powerfully. And I pray that you would continue to just infuse us with with hope and infuse us with, with life. God, we need you. Jesus, we need you. And I'm so thankful that when I am working through all of this stuff as I have over the years, you get it because you took on flesh and you lived you lived in this mess just like just like I am so God thank you thank you for making the way thank you for the example thank you for the hope that we've been given through Jesus amen